Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Listening to Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns Podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome everybody into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always. That's right, we got all of us here by my brother Ryan Shutt and my man Philip Russell. Ryan, I'm gonna go ahead and just turn it over to you. How are you doing, bud? We've missed you. I'm feeling like a guest on my own podcast. What's going on, fam? How are we doing? I'm Dude, we, good. It's been a long, it's been a long couple weeks, but we're back. I'm I'm glad to be back with you guys. Uh, you know, when you're trapped on a bus with a, a bunch of college students taking them across the country, the interest to talk Phoenix Suns basketball just doesn't seem to be there, believe it or not. So it's nice to have you guys around to talk about it with. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I could do that. Uh, it was nice getting to see you for in person, like two hours in the midst of your insane trip. Uh, Philip, how was life for you? You are now, I would, I guess school year is come and gone. So you're no longer on paternity leave. You're just on a summer of paternity. That's a, that's a good way to put it. I, I need some help though. I need some help. I need some help. I'm assuming our audience is primarily located in the Arizona-ish area. I believe the, the, stat, the stats break down mainly Arizona and Australia. So you it know is, those two. It is unbelievably hot in Kentucky right now. What do you guys do when the feels like temperature is 110? It is unbelievable. We have actual Kentucky. humidity here, by the way. True. For all our dry heat listeners who are like, it's 114 outside right now. What are you referring to, Philip? It is it is hot and it feels hot. Drop a comment or hit me up on Twitter and tell me what to do when it's unreasonably warm outside. I mean, you're a, a dad now, right? Crazy. You can just you can just pop in in the sandals, get them get them toes out and free, get some 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 cool feet going. Isn't listen, that part of the dad mode? Listen, I'm already worked, wearing my uh my three inch uh what's it called the three inch inseam. Ooh, so we're already yeah. <laughs> I was gonna All say right. if we were playing like a, a video game with one of those like unlockables, Philip just unlocked a massive chunk of new gear that he can use. Uh, I believe cargo shorts are involved, flip flops that are very unattractive. There's a lot of stuff that once you're a dad, you can start doing it, and we can't say anything about it legally. So. Maybe you'll be more prepared for the summer, but yeah, it is, it is incredibly hot here uh, in Kentucky, but we are doing okay. We've got the gang back together and I'm happy for it. If you're joining us, we want to say thank you for listening. 
We're part of the Bright Side Podcast Network, so feel free to check those folks out as well. But we are here to talk Summer Suns. It is uh, a bit different than our usual episodes as we kind of game plan what we want to do throughout the summer. Right now, we're focusing the beginning of our summer on recapping what has just happened. Not just the playoffs, but everything that has happened. The year in review, if you will, with some performance reviews that we started last episode. We're picking those back up today uh, with the Twins. So hopefully, if you're a big fan of Mikhail and Keith Morris. Yes. Thank you, Ryan. Markeith and Marcus Morris, thank you so much for taking the Twins and somehow ruining it. No, we're going to talk about the Twins that people like and the Twins that seem to like being here. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, coming up in a little bit. But before we get there, we are going to start how we started last episode, and that is by turning the microphone over to Philip Russell, a proud Golden State Warriors fan. No? Is that not the not how I'm supposed to tee you up for that one? I don't know how how many times we have to do the bit. It's every with me, time with me continuing to say I picked the Celtics. I picked the Celtics in six. I'm not a fanboy, although I am a fanboy of this series. This series has been Great. really good. Yep, really good. Even if it ends, even if it ends in six, still one of the better finals in recent memory. And if if memory serves, you guys are going to have to correct me. I had Celtics in I've got it pulled seven. Up. I, I had I've Celtics in seven. Yeah. Okay, what do we have, Ryan? Uh, Philip had Boston in six. I had Golden State in seven, and Ethan had Boston in seven. So we're all right there. We are all still very much in the hunt. All we know for sure is that I was wrong. I was going to say, Philip's out. No, he's yeah. mathematically. Oh, true, true, true. Yeah. But shout out, shout out to Philip's dad, Mark Russell, who had Warriors in six. That one is on the table. Well, there we go. Loyal, loyal listener. Here's the deal. And I actually want to do this as a way to segue into the the episode for today. This series has primarily been about Wardell, Stephen Curry, the second junior, whatever he goes by. Steph has been unbelievable. His magnetism on the court is evident. He draws a crowd wherever he goes. It opens up the lane for other people. But game five is unquestionably the Andrew Wiggins game. The Andrew Wiggins game. He was exceptional last night. I loved his rebounding. I loved his rebounding the last several games. His defense has been really good. And then the trust that the Warriors had saying, okay, if Marcus Smart is just going to go hug Steph Curry in the corner, we're going to open up the lane as much as we can and allow Wiggins to get downhill. And they even did it in crunch time where it was like the Warriors need to throw one last punch at the Celtics to get game to get game five in hand. And Marcus Smart and Derek White were the two guys guarding the pick and roll at the top. The Warriors in crunch time, they're on that high pick and roll, usually with Steph and Draymond, but they had Wiggins have the ball. Looney came up and set a screen and Steph just went and sat in the corner. So then Wiggins, who is an unbelievable athlete, gets a full head of steam and he goes down for a monster dunk. Game over. The reason I bring that up, you would think Wiggins is right now, I think, I think the math bears this out. He is their second leading scorer, but in terms of playmaking, he's third or fourth on the team. When you think of their options, Steph is obviously going to be the guy with the ball in his hands, or at least who they want to have the ball in his hands. And then 
even through kind of a rough series, they trust Draymond and they showed that at the mm-hmm. end of game four. They trust Draymond in that short roll to make a good decision, kicking it out to the wings or the corner or slipping it off to Looney. But then last night, when you're getting down to your third level scoring and you have a guy who is physically gifted enough and skilled enough to just take it to a defense that is very unique in the NBA. Your third level, the word Ethan, tertiary, tertiary I know, scoring I know. is exceptional. I learned so things. what we're talking about today with the twins, we're thinking in a best case scenario, their offense in the playoffs looks something like what Wiggins can do, where he's when he gets a smaller defender on him, he's comfortable taking about two dribbles, getting to a pull up and shooting over people. He's comfortable backing down. He's explosive enough to get a high pick and roll and just go. So as we're talking about this, hopefully if you're a big basketball fan, you've been watching the finals because it's very good. It's very good basketball. It's really, really good defense. But I want you to keep Andrew Wiggins in mind as someone who we're looking at and going, ooh, if if Mikhail and Cam show shades of that, the Suns can continue to be a really special team. And I think some people still have a bit of a stigma with Wiggins, the the number one who wasn't quite type of situation. It's been interesting reading some articles coming out this week about the amount of coaches he had early on and the value of fit and the value of location. And right. Like we talk about that so much, whether that's a number one overall pick on our team who may be able to do more things elsewhere because of fit and what's around him and what's built for him. Right. Wiggins expectations elsewhere don't fit the type of player that he is right now, but he has unlocked something in Golden State. And I think it's it's impressive and it shows why they've had sustained success outside of the system, though. I also think it's just been wonderful watching Steph Curry be incredible at basketball like Philip. I think you texted to me either this week or last week. How many years has this been going on now? We were talking about how long the if you want to call it curry dynasty curry whatever right like when did he start rising to dominance if we can try to think back in our heads here so his start like the start is that game back in what would it be 12 or 13 in the garden where he just torched the Knicks. i I feel like we're coming on close to 10 years Mm -hmm. right my thought was eight or nine and i wasn't 100 sure the beginning where they started even making some noise in the playoffs would be the 13 14 season and then you have the huge leap into 14 15 where they win their first title it's incredible like you people have not been able to scheme against him and that is just it's incredible to watch. I will say Draymond's path. I'm intrigued to see where it goes from here. I feel like this is the most flack that he has taken in terms of how his game is played. Uh, and as we kind of wrap it up, what have your thoughts been on Clay Thompson? Because I am curious what is to come for him. He becomes a free agent next summer. I believe Draymond also becomes a free agent next summer. I'm, do you think this could be the last big thing? Because I don't, I don't know if I see the Warriors doing it again, and maybe that's me being stupid. But is it, do you think this could be it for the currently constructed Warriors? Maybe, but 
Clay last night was 7 of 14, 5 of 11 from 3, 21 points, good defense. And then at the end of game four, he and Wiggins both, I think, went 7 of 17 from the field. So they didn't put great shooting performances on. But Clay clamped Jalen Brown down the stretch. And Wiggins, or and, yeah, and Wiggins did it to I said Wiggins played uh, Tatum. Great. So he, they've been playing really good defense. He's had up and down offensive output, but I wonder if next season will probably be a better tell for Clay, where he he's in complete rhythm. He has a full year, basically a year's worth, a calendar year's worth of being back under his belt. So I would say it might be just because they're all getting older. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be um, bold enough to say like, yes, it's the end because of Clay. All right. Well, let's move away from the finals. We're at our ten minute mark, which I is the magic number I've given Suns fans to say, wait a second, I haven't heard my team be mentioned in a little bit. So we try to we try to pivot back. Uh, We move into what we're going to call summer Suns news and opening remarks, if you will, to keep everyone updated on all of the hot garbage. That is uh, Suns Media, uh, Rumors, although we really don't, let's be real, none of us are digging too deep into any of that stuff, but just keeping you posted. And we jokingly said going into this episode, hey, even with a week break from Memorial Day, like, what do we have in Suns news? And we were like, all right, well, nothing nothing too concrete has happened. Uh, We're just waiting for stuff. And about legitimately 45 seconds before we clicked the go live button uh ryan what did you inform us popped up again uh across your phone yeah so this is from from baxter holmes who i believe dropped the original sarver story if that i'm not mistaken correct november uh, it, something 11th or 5th. yeah so actually inside at underscore inside the sun says it's been 222 days since the nba launched their investigation into sarver so that kind of gives you a frame of reference but baxter dropped this article uh Quote, a longtime Phoenix Suns employee resigns from the team last month, alleging she became the target of bullying and retaliation by superiors after raising gender equity concerns and misconduct within the organization, documents obtained by ESPN show. And there's an article. So, again, we haven't read this. It it dropped literally as we were about to to record. So um, to see what depth of this this reporting goes to and what documents ESPN has gotten their hands on. Well, we. Well, I'll give this just two cents that I think does give it a little bit of an immediate punch, even early in, because I was I I got distracted. I was was scrolling through it here. The big thing is it's a it's a named person. A a, a woman put her name attached to this story, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, the November one was a lot of this ex-employee or this former friend of an employee shared this story. So there is that element to it right off the bat. We are getting a name, and it appears that uh, this woman started working in 2007, and she sent a resignation email to 16 members of the ownership group, including majority owner Robert Sarver, challenging them to address what she said is a toxic and misogynistic workplace culture. So we don't have all the facts of, of reading through this and kind of even just gauging the aftermath, which I think will be interesting. Um, but, but if anything, it's a reminder that part of the Summer Suns news could eventually be this story that's been in the works for two-thirds of a year now, uh, which is which is interesting. I mean, I feel like we've all 
done our due diligence in speaking out against a lot of what was said about the Suns organization and what we think are, I would say, the weightier matters when it comes to some of these things in regards to basketball and what's going on on the court. Uh, But that is happening. So if you haven't seen that when you're listening and want to do some some deep dive and you can do that there. Uh, Philip, is there anything else in Summer Suns news outside of uh, our feedback of some things that we've seen on Twitter? Oh, besides that? No, I was just going to say in other news, Suns Twitter remains awash in interesting, terrible, spicy no good dirty rotten takes about one DeAndre Aiden. So that's all. That's the main thing until this Baxter home story. We're like, what are we going to do? We're going to come on and say son's son's Twitter is still a hot mess with DeAndre Aiden. And that's really all you need to know right now. I was most disappointed. There was a close finals game happening last night. And so I was keeping up with people, people on Twitter talking about the game. And then that is, and my mind space is then interrupted by DA takes. Watch the basketball game. Like we're basketball fans. Wait, you're the telling, finals are on. You're telling Watch me. You're telling me an imaginary legal argument determining who is the one to keep between Aiton and Chris Paul, which is a thing <laughs> that someone apparently made up, is more entertaining than Celtics versus Warriors. The actual battle happening on an actual basketball court. I really like that you called it an imaginary legal battle. I don't. I don't know if that's a real thing. Explain no. That. Have you not seen all the Twitter? The Twitter lawyers. Building their cases, attacking the defense. Like I want to be, I just want to be the guy who walks in. No, I want David. I want David Nash to be <laughs> the guy who just walks in and goes, objection. And he just hands them like the salary cap rules. Full CBA, just hand them the whole everything. Just like, yeah. here you go. He did no, have it is look, it is so stupid to me that it somehow has pivoted. And I think it's because people are bored. Can I be real with you? People are bored and they want something to talk about this tight knit internet community of Suns fans the games are over sooner than we thought so what are we going to talk about and stay involved and somehow it was like do we keep Aiton okay well what if we don't what can we do with Aiton well okay what what if those don't work well what financially can we do about Aiton well I don't know well hey Chris Paul's making money and he kind of sucked at the end Chris Paul versus Aiton let's have them battle it out who are you for to lead the next 50 years of the team? An 85-year-old point guard or a man playing video games till four in the morning? That has become Sun's Twitter discourse. I have had to, what the, is it, mute? I don't block them because I love them. Like, I love my Twitter family. But sometimes I'm like, brother, you got to go. Just for a little bit. Are you, are you putting people in timeout? I am. I'm like, I love you and respect you enough that I don't want this take to impact how I view you. So I'm just going to, I'm going to hide you to put you to the corner for a little bit, but I'll bring you back in a little see, bit. Like, I'll see you next week. Yeah. I'll see you come, next for, week. come for your agency. I'll bring you back up and see what you think. But for now, no, I will not be doing that. <laughs> the I finals have, are on and I have a life. I have two options. One, the NBA finals, watch that obsess about that. There's plenty of really good content, about that, and number two, watch the WNBA. WNBA is awesome. WNBA League Pass is also mad cheap to watch really good basketball. Fill yourself with like wholesome basketball content, not that hot mess that's on Twitter. Hey, can we talk about uh can we talk about Mikhail and Cam? I love them. That's what I was about to get into. Free Britney Griner. While we're talking about WNBA, free Britney Griner. Talk about a hot mess, man. That is all ridiculous. I was reading about, watching some videos about that the other day. Um, yes, we get into the the crux here, like the good stuff, the what you came for. And that is 
into the Valley Performance Reviews. Now, these are intended to take a couple steps back and view a player's body of work for the entire season. We are not trying to hyperfixate on the playoffs and how it ended or one little run. Like we want to say as a whole, how did this player perform this year? And with that, maybe we can pinpoint some areas we'd like to see them improve for next year. Things that might change moving forward because of how they overperformed or underperformed. And with that, we have four categories that we will be using. Same ones we used last week. We've got the quality of work, reliability, dependability, judgment and decision-making, and initiative and flexibility. The four options that we can put on here are exceeds expectations, meets expectations, needs improvement, and the one we haven't done yet, unacceptable. I'm looking forward to our first unacceptable. But we kick off our performance review with twin one, Mikhail Bridges. That is top two defensive player of the year, Mikhail Bridges. First team all defense, Mikhail Bridges. Lots to discuss. A big year for the kid after securing the bag, which is great. Like You love to see it. So we're going to go ahead and start with quality of work. We've kind of figured out this is the probably the most uh, broad, vague, big picture approach to, to the performance review here. We're just looking at it and saying, how did we feel about what they brought to the table this season? So, Philip, Mikhail Bridges, quality of work. Where are you at for this season? Meets expectations. I thought Mikhail was brilliant during the regular season. I thought he was noticeably not brilliant in the playoffs, which isn't to say bad, but he wasn't what I think the Suns needed him to be, especially in terms of his playmaking, which is why he's staying at a meets expectations. Uh, 53% from the field on 10 and a half shots per game is astounding. Basically 37% from three on just under four attempts. He had a really good regular season. He shot fine in the playoffs, but his, at least his overall splits did dip just a bit. His efficiency, especially around the basket, dipped in the playoffs. So he was he was about what I expected coming into this year. Brian, what about you from Mikhail? I had meets expectations, but defensively, if I could kind of go into that as a sub, I would say exceeds expectations. Like realistically, within context, to think in year four, he would be the runner-up for defensive player of the year, that he'd be first-team all-defense. I saw that in him, and I think we all saw that in him. I just didn't think we would get there so quickly. So if I can kind of split that up, I I would say defensively he exceeded expectations, in my opinion, but overall meets expectations. Um, Phillips already kind of talked about his offense a little bit. I feel like he doesn't quite have an offensive identity fully yet. I don't know if you guys would agree with that or not. But I, I, I like if I were to define his, his offensive game, I'm not sure there's something I could put my finger on and be like, this is what he does. He showed signs of shooting well from time to time. He showed signs of slashing well from time to time, but there wasn't really a full cohesive identity. And I looked this year at his points per game. He was at a career high, uh, 14. I want y'all to tell me if I'm ridiculous. I would love to see that get up to like 18 points per game. It's kind of like a true third option. Philip was talking kind of about Andrew Wiggins, and that's kind of what I see Mikhail kind of going forward as that true third option offensively right now, at least. I don't know where he'll be kind of in the long run, but that's kind of how I see him. And that's why I feel like kind of meets expectations with kind of right there clawing at exceeding. I, I 
I ended up saying he he meets expectations as well. And I thought, honestly, I'm kind of just saying what you all said here. Defensively, I think he exceeded. I think part of it was he was still the great defensive player, just with a little bit more attention because of the level of success the team had. Offensively, I, I tend to agree. I think he's still an incredible cutter. I think he did develop the 10 to 12 footer off the dribble a little bit more this year. His three-point shooting dipped from last year, where I think he was just a hair over 40 or 41%. But I just haven't... I agree with you, Ryan, to some extent, and this is where I get myself kind of confused. I was thinking about this on my run earlier. I was like, okay, so we're talking about bringing in a... And I was listening to the timeline, guys. They were making all their Kevin Durant jokes like they do. And I was like, all right, let's say we bring in a blank superstar right a someone a number one or a number two to booker in terms of offense that leaves Mikhail at four right if not if not five depending on who the other guy is out on the court and that's a weird spot to be where we want him to increase his offensive output but given the way we think the team needs to be structured to win those opportunities might not be there. So the counter is you just want them to be as efficient as possible in the opportunities that are there. And hopefully that leads to an extra bucket and that gets you to 16 points a and game. But I, No, I agree with that completely, but we're not there. We we don't know who's coming in. We don't know what that'll look like. So I was kind of just basing it off of what we got, but I agree with you. If we are bringing in this, you know, proverbial Kevin Durant esque player, then sure, obviously, I'll, there's no, a lot that changes. I, I there. think. I think even if we don't, though, I'm going to be honest with you. Let's say we run it back exactly how the team is built. That means Aiton is three, Mikhail's four. If Cam Johnson becomes a starter over Jay Crowder, I I put my money on Cam Johnson scoring more than Mikhail. So that's where I'm just like, I don't know if it's unfair to have such lofty expectations for Mikhail's offensive game. And that's where it gets funky, right? You hear people are like, oh, well, he can be like Kawhi where he adds all this. Like, can he? I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't like It's It's clear, like, the way the game is played, it makes more sense for Cam Johnson to have a game like that against the Knicks than it would for Mikhail to have a game like that against the Knicks. Like, the ceiling and the opportunities that are afforded to him aren't there. So I think if he gets in that 16 to 18 points per game spot, that's enough offensively to contribute to a championship team. So if he's at 14, I'm not super concerned, I would say. But to your point, Ryan, I still think he's leaving opportunities on the table. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what the, I mean, even if he shot, if he shot as well as last or this year, or even split the difference between this year and last year, you're adding another a couple points a game. So I, I don't know. I think quality of work, he meets my expectations that said, if I were going to pick someone on this team that I want to move the expectations up next year, he's on that list. So I think for what we needed this year, he did it. If he put this performance next year, I wouldn't jump to meets or exceeds. That's where I'm just like, I need, I need that little bit more for going into year five, whatever it may be. You're on year two of the bag. You're secure. I would, I mean, I would be mind blown if he's not a Phoenix Sun next year. Let me just get that out there. So I think the opportunity for him to grow and develop is there. So let, let's move to one that a little bit more easy to describe uh, reliability, dependability. Ryan, I'll go ahead and kick it off. 
what were your thoughts for Mikhail this year in terms of his dependability? Exceeds expectations to the point that it was almost annoying. In the playoffs, I felt like that was the only talking point anybody ever brought up on Mikhail was that he never missed games. Did, did y'all catch that in the broadcast? Like every time they talked about it, like, a, hey, he's, he's the never he's been the, hurt. He is the current record holder, and it is a it is a fun talking point. Yeah, so yeah. I just it's it's hard to it's hard to say that he didn't exceed expectations, which I guess if that's the expectation, maybe he met them. I don't know. It's kind of a a weird give and take because he is Mister Reliable. He's always there. Most most nights he's given you about the same that he gives every night. He doesn't have drastic highs or or really you know deep lows. He he kind of just goes out there, does what he does, and you just say that's because he's Mikhail Bridges. That's what we expect out of him. So. Uh, it's hard to say exceeds or meets. I put exceeds just because I thought he did a really good job. And the fact that through this tumultuous year with COVID and, uh, you know, several of the players getting hit by that, several of the players getting big injuries, somehow he was able to stay afloat the whole time and, and was the most reliable in, in that sense. Philip, your thoughts? This is this is like talking about Chris Paul's judgment and decision making last week. You can almost go exceeds expectations. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's one of those things. He's not really done anything to make us question anything. I do have – I hate doing this. I try to keep things moving. Going back to the scoring, I was just doing more numbery things because I was curious. He only, McKay only averaged 0.7 points more this year than last year. Isn't that crazy? We were talking so much about like the offensive jump, what we thought. in the. I was thinking back to our very first episode of the season, our preview. We were hoping he would get to that 16-18 range. He went from 13-5 to 14-2. So again, I do think I think we're on to something. I'm looking forward to talking about that a little bit more uh, later on, whether that's another episode or not, maybe if we want to do some goals for the players moving forward. Uh, judgment and decision-making for Mikhail Bridges. Defensively, he's like an exceeds plus for me. I think offensively, oh man, I would say he meets and maybe needs improvement. What's whatever the I'm the one who has my own chart here. Yeah, needs improvement. I think his judgment of which shots to take and which shots not to take at times confused me. And those were when he decided to go for the mid-range, when he wasn't willing to take the 3. I don't know, it's just not the it goes back to the Cam Knicks game or Cam in any game, to be honest with you. And we'll t- talk about it more later. But like he has the confidence that if that shot is a good shot, he's going to take it. Mikhail, I think, can get in his head a little bit. And I don't know if that's a fair way to assess judgment and decision making. But I think that could be a little better. But defensively, he just does so much to make up for it. It's hard not to say he's meeting expectations. Philip, what do you think? Well, just to jump in on that point, there is a mechanical difference between Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges on the offensive end that gives Cam Johnson, it makes Cam Johnson's jump shot quicker, which means Mm -hmm. he can make quicker decisions on pull-ups and even catch and shoot. Mikhail still has that kind of swoop up into his shot that we talked about. I think we talked about this at the beginning of the season. yeah. One of one of my concerns is I wonder if Mikhail is mechanically limited if he's going to run into a ceiling based solely off of his shot mechanics. Nothing about work ethic, athleticism. It's just the way he shoots. You he's actually going to hit a ceiling. you see that same mechanic, by the way, on his off the dribble. 
like 10 to 15. Oh yeah. It's, it's, and that's where it's, it's almost more noticeable because you see him over lean with his shoulder. And then as he brings it around, he straightens versus a book or a clay Thompson who I use is like the pinnacle immediately just rise straight up, stay vertical at all times. He still has that, not just on his catch Mm -hmm. and shoot threes. Yeah. But judgment and decision-making, I think he meets expectations when he gets out in transition. He is exceptional. He is phenomenal in transition. And then the play that I loved whenever DA got a smaller defender switched onto him and they started fronting, Mikhail would flash straight to the nail, catch it and either go in for an easy floater or lob it up to DA. I love that kind of stuff that shows high basketball IQ. So I think he's, he's what you would expect from Mikhail as far as his judgment and decision-making goes. That seems fair. What about you, Ryan? Yeah. For, for the fear of repetition, you know, I, I had meets expectations offensively is where I saw the biggest room for growth. And a lot of it is with just his, you know, being more assertive and what kind of shot he's going for being a little quicker to the trigger, but I don't, at the end of the day, I don't ever worry about whether or not he's going to make the right decision. It might be, you know, with a little bit of a, a stall or, or a hitch for whatever reason, but especially defensively, you know, I, I never worry about him being out of position or, or doing the wrong thing. He's kind of going back to the reliability. You can just count on the guy. Yep. No, I agree. I think, and I think you saying for fear of repetition, unfortunately, there's part of this that just says all of us watch a lot and we watch a lot of things similarly as we discuss how we watch it. So there will be some disagreements. I'm very, very intrigued. We haven't, we haven't nailed down next episode, but if we are talking minutes per game, we've actually kind of moved around it a, a little bit. If we did an eight and Crowder combo, if we just went with the big hefties next big week, hefties. I think there could be some disagreement. I think a campaign conversation is going to bring lots of disagreement. So I think as we get to those, oh, Philip shaking his head, no, like, no, 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 he sucks. <laughs> I believe that's, was that the head nod? Did I interpret that correctly? Yes. Oh, careful. Someone's going to get at you for hating campaign. Well, anyway, I mean, it's, it's kind of true. Hey, tell him to make his shots. So we move on just to just to tease what we've got coming up. I think it's going to get significantly more off the rails and far more interesting. Uh, initiative and flexibility for Mikhail Bridges. Philip, where'd you go with this one? He's got to improve. This is this is why I made the Andrew Wiggins comp at the beginning of the episode. Wiggins' ability to just make plays off the dribble, multiple dribbles, multiple moves. He Wiggins has more in his bag than a turnaround fadeaway at the elbow, which it seems like this this sounds harsh, but that is Mikhail's offensive bag. Yes, he can catch and shoot. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, he can slash and get a good pass from CP or book. He has nothing else in his offensive bag consistently in a one-on-one situation other than a couple dribbles and a fadeaway. At least nothing that he's flashed consistently. And that is where I think the some of the frustration or some of his um, lack of offensive growth was made so manifest in the playoffs, especially in the Dallas series. Suns need a bucket. Mikhail gets the ball. Maybe he has Brunson or some other smaller defender on him. And it was like all he was getting was mid-range jumpers usually contested mid-range jumpers. That is, if if the Suns are going to take a step up, that is where it has to be. Mikhail Bridges' playmaking in a situation where he has a weaker or maybe the weakest defender on the court in front of him, 
you got to be able to go to work and get something from him. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? I had needs improvement as well. Just a lack of offensive creative offense. It's just to Phillip's point, it's non-existent at this point. I, I, he's still solid, but to, again, to Phillip's point, that's got to be there. Or he's going to be kind of a one trick pony offensively for, for the time being. So I, I too put needs improvement in it. It, this one led me to some more ponderings, if you will. And we'll talk about it more with cam. We heard so much from so many folks, whether it was the Eric Gordon contingency or whatever of like the Suns need someone else that can create their own shot. Right. And for me, if I'm reading tea leaves, or if I were a betting man, I think the odds of the Suns running it back, or very similarly running it back, seems to be the best option to keep your floor pretty high, but still maintain a high ceiling, right? So if this were to happen, I think in order to get to where we didn't get this year, Cam or McHale have to be able to be an offensive creator in a way that we did not see from either of them, basically the entire season. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on both of those guys. I need to see it from one of them. I don't need both. That's unrealistic. But one of them's got to do it. It's going to take some load off of Chris Paul, who we've all discussed, I believe, needs fewer minutes next year. We, I think it just opens up a lot for a lot. So needs improvement. For this year, next year, if we're having this same conversation and it's him and Cam Johnson who are both, well, they shoot threes in the corner and Cam Johnson shoots fast and McHill likes 12 footers or he gets layups on nice cuts. And yes, fast break. I appreciate how good he is. That can be replaced. My point is, if we're in a year from now looking at this same situation, I'm hitting him with a double unacceptable. That's where I'm at. I think if you want to be a championship team, You've got to grow and develop and try new things. And you can't just rely on someone else magically coming in and saying, you all have this problem. Let me fix it for you. Because here's the deal. If we bring in one of these magic fix-it players, we're probably losing one of the twins. We're probably losing to whoever, right? And then more, more holes open if you're looking at a bucket with a lot of little leaks, right? So that's my thing. I think for this year, needs improvement. But I'm just putting putting the listeners on notice. My expectations for Mikhail Bridges offensively next year are going to be pretty high. And there are going to be times where you're like, Ethan, you need to not be so hard on him. False. I will. Deal with it. It and has it, to happen. And it's because of the expectations for the team. Right. The team has championship expectations. Look at look at Boston. Let's let's do Boston since apparently I'm the Golden State fanboy on the podcast. Boston has obviously Tatum can make a play for himself. Jalen Brown can make a play for himself. But every time last night when Marcus Smart gets Jordan Poole on him, he's either taking him off the dribble. And then in the second half, he put him in the post. He said, mouse in the house, give me the ball on the block. So not only can Smart go at someone, not only can he go at a big, which he's done well this series at times. He can go at a big, get to a spot, and hit a nice floater. He can go down on the block. It's a third playmaker who has multiple moves. And where's Boston? They're in the championship contending for a title, having gone through a tough road to get to the finals. 
it's because they have multiple playmakers who have multiple clear, multiple skill sets on the offensive end. And again, it has to come from somewhere. And if it doesn't come from Mikhail, I would say he's going to be, he's going to, I think, go from a fan favorite pretty quickly into someone who fans are probably disappointed with. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're right. And I hate, I hate to say that, but as we kind of move on now to Cam Johnson, I think a lot of those same ideas can be reiterated. I do think one thing that helps Cam Johnson going into this conversation is I think the expectations on him were significantly lower this year than what we may have had for Mikhail. Maybe that's just me, and this is someone who loves Cam very much. I did not expect, I'm going to say a leap, a leap, a big step forward. I thought Mikhail was going to have a big step forward. And still, as you look at group consensus, we still thought he met expectations. But Cam, I was unsure what to expect. But let's go ahead and kick it off with quality of work. I'm I'm going to go ahead and say for me, he exceeded expectations. I thought defensively, that's the biggest area where I thought he really exceeded expectations. He has made himself a legitimate defender. He is not someone that is going to be pigeoned, if you will. Uh, and yeah, if you want to be that guy and be like, well, Luca went at him all the time. Sure. Luca went at a bunch of people all the time, right? Like, Luca is a very large grown man in the body of a, what is he, a 20? Something stupid like that. Like, it is what it is. Cam defensively made massive strides forward this year. Offensively, we saw more creation with his ability to facilitate, continue to build up the second unit. Three-point-wise, I don't know how everyone else finished. I know he was the number one three-point shooting player in terms of percentage for the majority of the year. He ended right under 43 memory serves. Yep, 42.5. So fantastic doing what he was called to do. And again, that goes back to a role thing. Like his role is shoot threes, hit threes. So if he's doing that well, and in my opinion, that is, that's better than what you would expect, right? If he was at 40, I'd be thrilled. Almost at 43% with a volume increase and a game increase in minutes increase. I thought he was great. I thought it was a great year. I'm hoping he gets a contract extension in the near future, which we can talk about later whenever we start throwing numbers out and pretending like we know what we're talking about. Uh, Ryan, Cam Johnson's quality of work for the season. Uh, I said generally meets ex- meets expectations, but defensively exceeded expectations. Uh, I, I didn't see Cam, to your point, being as good defensively as he ended up being this year. He kind of came in specifically as a three-point shooter. I don't think any of us really had that high regard for what he would be able to do defensively. No but, one knew anything about that. That's but for it, real. But it seems like the the work effort and and the the love of lockdown defense that his his buddy Mikhail has has rubbed off on him. Uh and as well as some of the other guys. You see Booker has stepped up his his defensive game. Aiton great lockdown big in the post defensively. I think they've all just made Cam better. Uh, and so I said, generally meet, met expectations. You know, that's kind of offensively what I wanted. Now, 42.5% three-point is great, but I was kind of hoping he would get there. So that was kind of my expectation for him was hopefully to be around that 40, 40% mark. Um, so definitely room for growth. I, I don't want to say that he's exceeding my expectations, but defensively, absolutely. Yeah, and his efficiency around the rim increased as well, talking about just his offensive ability and efficiency. Philip, what you got? 
I think I had higher expectations earlier on for Cam because he flashed. Obviously, the PJ Dunk was something special mm-hmm. last year in the finals, but I think he flashed some athleticism last year where that caught my attention. I thought, oh, this kid's more athletically gifted than than I realized. So I think in my mind all year long, I've kind of had higher expectations for him defensively because athletic athletic gifts like he has are extremely helpful when you're trying to improve on the defensive end. So I have him a little bit lower. I have that he meets expectations, but if he replicates his regular season and playoffs from this season next year, he will be firmly in the needs improvement camp. I'll get I'll get to some more reasons a little bit later on. They're going to be similar to Mikhail. He's he's another one where you you need a little bit more, not necessarily statistically, you need more from him stylistically. Yep. No, I agree. And and the big things for Cam, if you're looking year over year, is kind of those we've mentioned those expectations change and what to expect. He only averaged two more minutes a game from last year, which is surprising, I would say, to some. But in those extra two minutes a game, he ended up putting 60 more threes up and hitting 50 more than last year. So in the 60 extra threes he shot this year, he made 50 of them. And you saw that percentage jump from 34.9 to 42.5, which is a big deal. He got to the free throw line significantly more than last year, which I think is a big deal as well. Last year, only 59 attempts. This year, 114. So he's got one less season under his belt. Maybe that trajectory does carry, and we see him do more to your point, Philip, with the athletic gifts and the creativity. Um, reliability, dependability for Cam Johnson. I. It's kind of hard whenever an injury is so impactful. Uh, if you were to look at the majority of the season, I would say meets expectation. He did what he needed to do. I think from New Year's to the Knicks game when he got hurt and he was on fire, he was stepping in as a starter. I thought he exceeded expectations. Coming off of that injury, I can't remember if it was a hamstring contusion or thigh. Yeah, quad. quad Was it? Okay. I knew it was something like that. He didn't look himself. And I, I don't know, like you feel for him and you kind of have to get your stroke back. You have to kind of figure it out again. I think we've seen that with clay on the biggest stage over this year, I would say he meets expectations as a whole, but the highs were really high and the lows were pretty low on like the one of 10 shooting nights and things like that. Although Steph went zero of nine from three and they won just fine. So who knows? Maybe the three balls uh, overrated. Uh, Philip, what about you? Cam Johnson, when it comes to reliability and dependability. Meets expectations. He was fine until the quad injury he was really good right before the quad injury then after that it just didn't seem like he had he had what he had before i'm not i'm not gonna hold that against him especially when the uh the quad injury came in probably the most memorable game of the season yep i would agree ryan i had him at meet at uh, meet expectations there generally speaking i don't think there was more than a couple of times where i would ask you know where was cam johnson tonight and and to me, that's a reliable guy. I can come in or count on him to come in, do what he needs to do. And there was never really a time that often I, I feel like where I, he felt lost in the shuffle of the game or, or or was being outshined by by somebody else in that role. I thought he was just who he who he needed to be. Injury aside, you know, I, I think he was just fine. 
All right, just fine. That's an exciting note as we uh, close this one and move on to the next. Judgment and decision-making. Philip, what do you have for Cam, and is it going to sound similar to what we heard from Mikhail? He needs improvement. I think Cam gets himself in trouble a lot. I It's just fixed in my mind. It's him driving to his right, and it's about a step past the elbow. He picks up his dribble, and he gets lost, and it stagnates the offense. I think his his decisiveness needs to increase and decisiveness could be interpreted into initiative and flexibility that we're going to talk about in a minute. But I think for him, it's a matter of decision-making. Like if you're going to drive, go. If you're going to pass, don't drive, just swing it over to the wing and let's keep the, let's keep the offense rolling. So I think, I think his his judgment needs to improve quite a bit. I would say he was this was his only category that I even toyed with an unacceptable. Yeah, I put I put needs improvement and it was for a lot of the same reasons. I think it's just the and what's so funny is you would you would think maybe if you heard that we were saying needs improvement for Cam Johnson, maybe you'd assume defense, but no, I thought the same thing. I think it comes to offensive decision making and figuring out what you want to do and then actually going and doing it uh, and not kind of straddling the fence of keeping all your options open at all time. Ryan, what'd you think? I think I was a little easier on him. I, I said meets expectations again. I just kind of put it in the context of this was year three for him um, after, you know, getting more minutes, getting more games played, uh, getting that, you know, pretty good stretch where he was starting there wasn't anything where I felt concerned or worried. So I put meets expectations. I definitely see room for growth, but for a guy who's in year three performing at that level, there's not much that I can point to and say, you know, that's really a red flag for me. So I felt pretty good about it. All things considered. I think that's fair. Uh, one thing that I did just think about as we were talking about the minutes, if, if the injuries didn't happen, do we think Cam Johnson averages the extra two minutes over what he did last season? Because I'm guessing with the random starts and covering for Booker and the more minutes from Paul, it's odd to me that we didn't see him get more. And maybe that will fall more into our Jay Crowder conversation for later and kind of what to expect for next year. Uh, But it's just something, something I guess for us to all think about here as we start looking for that next episode of what we think, what we think that rotation will look like. Uh, but we close out our performance reviews, initiative and flexibility. Philip, what'd you got for old cam on this one? Needs improvement, yeah, much like his here. buddy, Mikhail, his level of flexibility this year will be a flagrant unacceptable next season. He's he's got to be a guy, and between McHale and Cam, I think McHale, or I, excuse me, I think Cam is the guy who, when you pitch him the ball, he needs to have an offensive bag where he can go get a bucket, or at the very least, get a look that you can live with. And the comp right now that we're seeing would be a Clay Thompson. Do the Warriors love when it's a four dribble baseline fadeaway from Clay, or a three dribble? elbow fade away from clay they probably don't love that but he's making them at times and he's a great shooter getting a look shooting above smaller defenders and you live with the results i don't think we've seen consistently either mikhail or cam show 
that they're willing to make those kinds of plays. Maybe Mikhail, some with his turnaround, um, his turnaround jumper that Dallas eventually sat on. But I want to see it from Cam. I really want to see it from both of them, but especially from Cam, because I think he is so much better than Mikhail mechanically. I think it gives him extra freedom to go to work. Ryan, what are you thinking? I had needs improvement, and mine kind of leans more towards the initiative. I'd like to see him make take the initiative to make that jump to kind of starter-level play next season. Um, and with that in mind, so I kind of went and looked at the 16 games that he started this season. In those 16 games, he averaged 16-5-2 and two on almost 50-40-90. He was at like 49 and a half. So he was averaging 50-40-90 almost in those 16 games he started. So the numbers were there. When he got those minutes, he was playing really well in those times. And especially if he's going to potentially get a bag this summer and Jay Crowder, you know, he might be a trade piece depending on what happens. I would like to see him take that initiative and improve in that and, and be that guy to, to start the game. Um, and so that's why I had him at needs improvement, just because I want to see him take that jump. Um, now, I'm not expecting 50-40 night and he splits out of him next season. But in the, that small sample size, you know, he, it was there. Uh, and so that was encouraging. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see if he cracks that rotation next year. Um, I think we were talking earlier about the three wings, Mikhail, Cam, and Jay. In terms of who I think all of us would pick to trade, I'm you know, for whatever piece comes next, I'm guessing everyone would be most okay trading Jay. Thoughts? That's yes. a yes for me, dog. Philip, if we're just look, if we're just looking at talent, yeah. So the problem is when you look at what other teams want in return to make a trade. I'm guessing Jay is definitely at the bottom of their list. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Suns decide to be active and do stuff. Will will we have two twins to talk about next season? That that gets me a little nervous, but. We'll see. We'll see. One thing. One thing. One of the big questions that we had coming into the summer was what happens with Cam Johnson. So we won't belabor the point since we're almost at an hour. Rough number. How much are you guys comfortable with Cam signing for if he signs this summer? So for those of you who might not know, Cam Johnson can sign an extension that would kick in in the 23-24 season. But like the Suns did with Mikhail, they can sign him this summer, get it over with, so that's just out of the way, no hassle. It's like the antithesis of what the Suns are doing with DA. The Suns can do that with Cam Johnson. What number are you comfortable with him paying, being paid per year? So it's four years, right? Based on yeah. the extension, yeah. right? Just do it per year. I would say 18. Mikhail's at 22 and a half. I think we joked before we're like just give them both the same they love each other so much uh i think i think 18 for cam is a number where he should feel like he's getting good money especially since his four years are going to take him into his 30s which is kind of crazy for his one big contract probably in his life so that's where i'm at ryan what about you yeah i'd say about the same i think especially this year with the accolades that bridges got defensively there does need to be some sort of a financial gap to set the two apart as silly as that might sound um so i think i think ethan's right i think that that maybe 16 to 18 19 range would be 
would be just fine. I'd have no issues with that. Yeah, I think there's a there's probably a spectrum that exists between 15 million and Mikhail Bridges money. The closer the Suns are to 15 million, the more of a steal it's going to be. Yep. The closer it is to Mikhail's 22-ish that he's going to get per year, the the more Devin Booker's dad, aka Cam Johnson's agent, Melvin. did uh did a really good job. But I think anywhere in there, you're okay. I'm good with 20. Four for 80 would be would be just fine from my vantage point. And just as a reminder, I know there's a lot of people out there that like thought the Landry Shamit deal was such an absolute absurd, stupid mess because they all hate him. His was four for 42. So he's just a hair over 10 mil a year. I think if you're looking at like that is the shooter type, but doesn't have the expectations of a starter. If Cam is a good eight mil or so above that a year, I think that seems reasonable, right? And, and I, all you can do is look at jones and sarver's most recent deals to try to maybe assume how they are going to go about it as much as you can look at the league and and melvin booker probably has every contract in some little black book like i i think i think we're right i think it's in that 15 to 20 maybe if we're if we're making a broad one uh and then to your point philip we'll we'll see how good of a deal they get all right gents we're wrapping up here anything else to add before we call it an episode let's lock it in like we did last week we're going off the cuff but we have three out of five starters covered. It only feels right that next week we round out the, the starters. We'll call it. We'll call it the big dogs. We're giving the big dogs a performance review. So we're going to review Jay Crowder and DeAndre Ayton next week. It it's not going to be contentious at all, and everybody on Suns Twitter is going to <clears throat> agree with what we say. I don't think I could wrap up an episode any better than that, Ryan. Anything to the fans who have missed you so much? Hey, I I love you guys, even my haters. And you know who you are. That's what I was going to say. Anything to your imagined haters you want to say? It's hey, all man. love and positivity hey, just, right now? Just love and good vibes, baby. Go well, Warriors. With the love and the good vibes, I am Ethan. And for Philip and Ryan, this is Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.